Cheers! What's up, everybody? Paul Sfârlea here. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Hospitality Secrets Podcast. We are in season two, as you noticed. We are with guest number eight. And today I have a special guest that... Uh, Actually, he is one of the, the brains that were behind the, the engine cocktails for you at the beginning. They started this uh, cocktails movement on the social media. And uh, I met him in uh, in Uzbekistan. We went there together to judge a competition. And we kind of, uh, I liked his mentality. I liked uh, how he was rolling because actually he eats social media on the bread for the breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> so he eats social media <laughs> and uh, he's a true online inspiration since then i'm i'm following all, uh, all his stories all his posts and and honestly i just can't get enough of uh, what he's posting he's really bringing uh, value on the online environment so my next guest uh, is daniel nevsky daniel thank you very much for coming welcome here we are how are you guys doing welcome to the hospitality seekers podcast i am your Eighth guest, Ocho, which is not a uh, a Bacardi Legacy uh, advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a it's just a coincidence. So, infinity, Ocho, infinity. Uh, yeah, nice, deeper. So already this podcast went deeper. I like it. <laughs> thank you, thank you for uh, for coming to to this episode, Danny. Yeah, all I had to go was from my bedroom to my living room. It was really short distance. I like it much quicker I, than Uzbekistan. I Much really easier. appreciate the effort that you put it of uh, moving uh, and and coming here actually in front of the laptop to this podcast. So where Great. where are you now? I am currently living in Barcelona in Spain, the uh, the Bohemian city, Ooh. as the Barcelona people like to call it, with my, my Bohemian screaming dog, and oh, and also known as the Giri city. Giri is Spanish for uh, foreigners. Are we allowed to swear? Are we allowed to yeah, swear? Yeah, yeah, sure. we are allowed to do everything. I okay. mean, everything we can do here. Like yeah, um, it's for grown-ups only. So oh, if you are, you're yeah. below 18 years old, please stop it now. Have you ever been, have you ever heard, have you been to Japan? Have you been to Japan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how they have the term gaijin? Mm, I don't know, I don't know. So gaijin means anyone who's foreign, not from the island of Japan. Everyone's gaijin. And gaijin could be a person, it's not racist per se, I mean, it could be anything, it could be foreign, you know, like McDonald's, gaijin. Mm -hmm. uh, in in Spain, they have a similar thing called a giri, except because Spain is part of Europe, um, there's there's not, you know, there's a lot more foreigners around in Japan um, that look different. Um, they have a thing that if you can, you know, like if you uh, behave a certain way, ah, he's a giri, he's a foreigner, you know, it's like a, He's a stupid little guy. Stupid little guy is not local, you know? Um, so Barcelona is full of uh, Latinos, Filipinos, Pakistanis, Russians, so many Russians here. Um, so they're called the Giri City, where all, where all the foreigners live. Uh -huh. <laughs> nice. I don't know why. But it's a nice city because maybe there are plenty of them. Yes, there's a lot. It's very multicultural, very transient, very sort of gypsy. But this is where I am. This is where I am. I love this place. Good high quality of life. There's a beach. It's warm. It's winter right now, and it's like 12, 14. No way. And here is minus five degrees, so I'm uh, inside. Okay, okay. I envy you now. So, with the beach <laughs> and uh, high temperatures, I shouldn't ask where you are. <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna, it's, it's, it says himself. But there you go. Bram. Super. So, uh, Daniel, I have a, I have a 
seven questions for you and the last one it's a bonus one if you want to answer the last one but if you oh have to, if you if you answer the last one you should answer the the first seven questions there are seven deep questions that i want to understand something to tell us a little bit about your journey about hospitality because this podcast is about hospitality and i really mm. want to go in deeper into the concept of hospitality because i i believe i strongly believe that we we should go back to the roots of hospitality and now after the crisis which we, we should show more hospitality in, in our industry so very, are you very... are you ready to rumble i have born ready i had a sandwich <laughs> I had a coffee you know i'm good Ooh. i did my hair i have a hat for the this is going to be for the last question it's going to be for the last oh, cool cool yes yes so then the, the nice hat i will uh, i will also put some videos about uh, from this podcast so we For the listeners, Daniel will wear a very funny and nice hat. So just watch the videos, follow him, naked. follow me to see the video. Naked. You can't tell what I'm doing, but I'll be naked. Oh, okay. Okay. ASMR. What noise is this? <laughs> I can't watch. I can't watch. <laughs> so first question, it's about you and and uh, what are you doing during this, uh, this crisis? What projects are you working on this period? Okay, so my number one project is my new company called the Independent Bartender Company. Mm. Um, it's an idea that came to me uh, after just years of working in hospitality. And um, to be honest, it came from a moment where I believe when I was a younger bartender and I was like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting smarter, I'm doing competitions. So like, what am I going to do? Like, where am I going to develop? I've already pissed off my parents by not finishing university. I already pissed off my parents by not getting the job that they sort of thought I would get. I already pissed off my parents. <laughs> Whoa. You see a trend. You see a trend? Um, but basically it was, there was, because I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant from, from Russia. So my, actually, I'm a, I'm a third time generation immigrant. So because my parents uh, moved from Russia to Ukraine, which back then was a lot cooler and safer than it is now, 30 years later. Uh, <laughs> it's not, not as good now. Um, and then we moved to London um, when I was seven and a half. And we're not talking Chelsea, Abramovich, fucking bullshit. We're talking, my dad had a good job and then he became a laborer, a carpenter. And my mom had a good job and she became a cleaner. So first generation story. And I realized the value of like money and hard work very early. And so as a young bartender, I was like, okay, well, I can do this now. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm physical. I could do 16, 18 hour weeks, six, seven days a week, 28 days in a row. It becomes like a little like alpha male, like I did 28 days in a row. So today I'm going to get fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But then there comes a moment where I'm like, ah, that my knees hurt and I'm only 26. What's going on there? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, oh, look, I'm pretty overweight, like pretty overweight. Um, so anyway, so there was a moment where I was like, okay, well, where, where can my career develop? What can bartenders do in the future? And uh, the, then when you start thinking, you're like, wow, we don't really have a lot of options. You know, one of our options is stay in operations, become a bar manager, hopefully earn enough money or find an investor to become a bar owner uh, for an independent bar, or you're going to get into um, F&B management and, and operations in a hotel. Like that's it. There's that yeah. one, one. The second one is corporate. 
where you get into brand ambassadorship, maybe brand management, eventually brand brand uh, um, yeah stuff like brand that. related jobs. Well, brand related jobs, but whatever global cocktailian like Lauren Motes, you know, mm. there's all these weird names and stuff. But basically, you go into the companies, and that's okay. But that's a different job, you know. That's if you if I, any bar, um, brand ambassadors I spoke to, the first year they charge, they're just trying to learn all the new terms and not fuck it up. That's, they're always like, I'm gonna shut up because I can go home early and I got like a little expense account and stuff. I'm in a good place. I'm gonna shut up and I'm gonna learn and see what's going on. All the acronyms, Billy B. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, KPIs, POE, all this shit. ROI, you know, like, I know them all now, but back then I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then the third one is like the Wild West. It's like cowboys, you know, it's it's consultancy, right? Do you know a single person globally in our industry, in our small cocktail industry, who's like a famous consultant. That's what they are. They don't say I'm a bartender, they say I'm a consultant. I don't know one. I know like, I don't know a single person. I don't know a single person who's like, every year they're like, I'm consulting, I'm opening this place. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's awesome. And then he's opening a new place. No idea. It's, uh, I know about small, like, oh, I did the menu or I trained the staff, but no, like nothing that is sustainable long-term to build your own house or, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a very difficult, massive success uh, of it. Yes. So I thought, you know what, that's a pretty depressing limited number of direction for careers. And then I, with working with social media and learning to speak the corporate language through, uh, through a service-based um, situation, I realized, I learned all the acronyms, I learned the language that they want to speak, and I realized that a lot of the time there's a huge communication error between the bar community and the corporate community. They don't oh, really yeah. know how to talk to each other. They have no idea how to communicate. And very often, the best brand ambassadors are not the ones that the bar community loves, are the ones that know how to talk to both and connect them in the right way. Yeah, the ones very that well said, both- yeah. Nice, nice. For sure, man. Like uh, the best brand ambassadors, they they're they're connectors, which is what bartenders are, right? And but at the same time, once you learn about some of the budgets of the up and up and up, and how they're just used really, really badly sometimes, um, not because they people are dumb that are behind them, but the guy who was working for Heinz or Nappies, and then he now he's managing uh, Johnny Walker Blue. And it's like, he hasn't From worked, diapers he hasn't... to uh, exquisite drinks, uh, spirits. Yeah, yeah. So it's not always, and they change every year, year and a half. They're always changing. Mm-hmm. So a brand ambassador can work for eight, nine years in a company and change brand managers eight times, um, which is like so stressful because you have to bring a new person in, explain them what you're doing, what the products are, what the two-year plan is and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, hey, well, um, that was that's big brands. That's Diageo, Perno, uh, Bacardi. But there's a lot of brands out there that are smaller, that do good volume, they have budgets, but they maybe can't afford uh, a global brand ambassador, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they can't afford the, the they, they can't afford an, an advocacy team, right? But they're doing numbers because the product's good or their marketing's okay. So my idea was to find how can I help bartenders who are experienced 
who might have a portfolio of seminars, of skills, of, of knowledge that they are established. People have been in the industry for a good like seven plus eight, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't want to become an owner of a bar or they already have been and it's stressful as shit. Maybe they already have a bar, but they know the margins. So they want to do something, you know, they can, that can run and they want to do something else. Maybe they're a brand ambassador and basically you, you get where I'm staying, an established person. And then what if they don't have the communication skills that I have? What if they don't have the uh, contacts that I have? What if they don't know, they don't, they can't fulfill the package? What if I help them become what I call the independent bartender, the indie bartender? And that basically, it's very simple. The easiest way to explain it, it's the influencer model, but you're not an influencer with nice abs and nice boobs just trying to promote anything. You're just, um, you're just in your specific industry. So I know drinks, I, I'm, people kind of know who I am. I have a good portfolio of stuff and that's what I want to promote. And I want to work in Europe or I want to work global, whatever. It's up to you to decide your ambition and how much work you want to put in. And so it's the influencer model, except you, you write yourself a brand plan based on you being the brand. So you're like, I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to. Uh, film this, take photos this, make these drinks. Here's my brand plan for 12 months. And then you go to brands and you go, here's my brand plan, here's what I'm gonna do. The budget for this brand plan is 30,000 euros for the year. And then you invest that money into your brand plan. So you, you are funding your own brand plan. And then you go, if you wanna be my, uh, if you wanna take part in this, you have to match my investment. So you, so then they're not a sponsor, they're a partner. A brand has a lot less opportunity to say to you, dance monkey dance, because uh, when you're, when you're like, dude, I have, I invested the same amount. We're partners. We're not, we're not. Um, I'm not an employee. Not, yeah. We are, we are partners in this. I can still do this. I can, I can do this entire plan without you. But if you don't like, this is your opportunity to join. You can be my exclusive vodka, gin, tequila, rum partner. Obviously work with spirits that you actually drink yourself and you enjoy, you know, um, money will come. It's easy yeah. to sometimes to take the easy, the easy route and take the easy sponsorship, uh, from a brand that you don't actually enjoy, but and you, need you to sell be your soul. Well, basically, yeah, you know, I don't particularly like mezcal. Does that mean I will never go to a mezcal distillery? No. But do I really want to drink mezcal for 12 months? Mm. No. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say, listen, I love you guys. I'll come to the distillery. I might do an event here and there. But uh, everyone knows I don't drink mezcal. I don't like mezcal. So I'm not going to take a mezcal brand partner for 12 months. So that's it. That's the very basic business model. You, you, you wow. write a brand plan, you invest it yourself, the, you, you fill up your partners. I think the limit would be four because after that you can't physically do more, you know, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. so much to do without it being like basically a commercial. Um, and then that means that you have creative control, but you need to do the prep work. You know, you need to prep the bar before you open. No, so you yeah. need to make sure that your plans are ready, your logistics is done, you've budgeted it correctly. You need to show, you need to make sure contracts are done, which is what come in. And so this is a very new model and I've contacted a lot of my friends and I've shown them my, my deck, my proposal. A lot of people like, 
this is this is very uh, ambitious and i'm like yes but this is exactly the time where brands will be interested in this because it's the pandemic because now brands want a bigger roi so for those of you guys that don't know that acronym it's return on investment and all the brands are looking for a return of investment there is no yeah. brand that is not looking after a return of investment at some point at least Exactly. So what if I go to them, okay, here, I'm Dan, here's what I've done, here's my awards, here's on some lists I'm on, and here's my authenticity that mm-hmm. makes me cool. Um, my uh, in a, my 12-month investment is 35,000 euros. So I invested 35,000 euros into Indie Bartender, and that's how much money I put in. So their investment has to match that. And I'm speaking to Angostura Rum at the moment uh, as my second uh, partner. My first one was a vermouth. Which is actually available in Romania. Which version? Uh, it's called uh, Nine di Dante, Nova di Dante. I it's saw a it on your movie. stories, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I'll get into that in a minute. So basically, uh, that's it. That's the whole point. They've, they're my first partner. Angostura Rum is looking to become my second. We're just in negotiations now. Um, but like I said, it's negotiations, so that might not happen. But basically they're like okay cool they have brand ambassadors but we can play this guy who's not necessarily going to talk angus story he's going to talk about what he talks about and i have a whole plan which i'm not going to publicize just yet he's going to go and do it and the only and we're going to be his exclusive run partner for a year for and- 35k which is how much like that's not a lot of money for them to invest but they don't have to look after logistics expenses that's on me that's my responsibility and- you and- in in yeah. this way you have much more credibility because if if there is a brand ambassador everybody knows that, that that brand ambassador wants to sell you this his brand but if you are an independent you have much more credibility because you are promoting the brands that deserve you you really believe in so this this gives you much much more credibility and at the same time um i'm not a direct representative of the brand so mm-hmm. i have more freedom to do things that might not necessarily directly uh, are about the brand. But for example, I want to do a, a trip to India. I want to find out where my limes in Spain come from. So I want to order a box of limes. I want to call up the fruit guy. I'm like, hey, where did you buy them in Spain? They must be like a wholesaler. Cool, it's here. I want to drive there. I want to go, hey guys, where do you buy your limes? Oh, it's India. Well, who do you buy from in India? Here, okay, let's fly to India. Okay, you guys, we buy our things in Spain from you guys. Where do you get them from? Oh, from this guy. I want to go back down to the farm where that fucking lime was grown and speak to the person and, and figure out that journey that that fucking piece of fruit has made. Nice, nice. It's a really completely not ROI for a Trinidadian rum, <laughs> you know, but i can make a a, a, a queen spark swizzle in india <laughs> next to the lime where i got my lime or something like this but the point of it is that it's that's a really interesting journey for me it it, it makes it, it it has nothing to do with alcohols per se but i think that's something that would be very interesting for people to see to figure out reverse engineer me in my comfortable first world place having a lime so that's the that's the project in order to nice. um in order to because no one's going to do it you know what they say you know if you don't do it no one's going to do it so uh i'm the first indie bartender i'm selling myself i'm not just a service company so i put in all my savings where can people find you on the on the internet at the moment i'm on cocktail man on instagram um, oh, cool, i've also got a youtube channel um called the uh, uh, 
uh, indie bartender, uh, Dan the indie bartender. That's going to be more for the big projects. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, we're just getting the funding. But um, there's also a website called IndieBartender.com, which has a lot more educational content on it. Um, and so that's it. That's that's where you'll find all of the things I'm I'm doing. You can talk to me. You can message me. I'm very nice. um, communicable. Uh, you'll find everything from from funny videos to a bit more serious content. Uh, very much bartending insights. And and, and for like the that. listeners, I strongly recommend to to follow the the Instagram profile to see his stories, his way of putting stories, and his posts is is very nice. So I strongly recommend to to follow and and see what he's doing. So yeah, so that's um, that's the idea. And uh, basically, the moment the international restrictions are up, um, there's going to be a press release going out to a lot of mass media. I'm not people don't I'm not a I'm not a media. They don't really love me. Um, I talk about too much complicated things and subjects people don't like discussing. You know, mm -hmm. it's easier to post about someone's new menu than about something deep you know um and this is where i think traditional media fails because we always wanted to read there for something a bit more deep um so i don't know how well the press release is going to go because i've got no pr company it's just me um but basically uh, the 12-month plan i want to put it all public full transparency and after wow. 12 months after 12 months i want to publicize a pnl which is another acronym which means profit and loss Uh, showing where the money came from, how much partners I got, how much money I made, and if I'm in the plus, the minus, or zero. And you have the system pu publicized, fully transparent of, of doing I this. Want to, I want to do it in 12 months. I have an Excel set up. I'm going to make it public. I'm like, here you go. Here's here's a dickhead with uh, during the pandemic with 35K that he could do anything with, buy a house. He put it into his company. And after 12 months and no PR and this and this and this, he went and did this, how much money he earned. So if I'm earning more than I earned as a bartender full-time, traveling the world, making content, guest bartending, teaching bartenders, you know what? I'm okay with that. Ooh, I think most I'm of okay. the bartenders would, would be okay with that. And so that's my, um, that's my mission. My mission is to do that. My mission is to help other bartenders become indie bartenders. My mission is to help them get the skills that they don't uh, learn um, until they're older for you know I want, I'm speaking to a finance guy to create a like a, a free uh, PNL course uh, I have to pay him out of my own pocket you know but maybe maybe we'll charge a little bit of it just to cover his costs um, but that's the whole point I'm like how can I help others but only if they want to be helped themselves I'm not interested in mass media millions of followers I want I want to talk to the people who are willing and interested in going further. You know, I want to talk to the people who are smart and intelligent and and they don't want to just... I love doing Jager bombs now and again. Don't get me wrong. I love going hard. I love going ham. But that shit's not paying my rent at the end of the month. And um, so I would rather be... Go out with like you, Paul, and do champagne and shots and daiquiris. And next day, wake up and go like, "All right, let's go back to our awesome, cool lives where we can afford to do all this without worrying about rent." That's a much cooler thing to wake up to than going, "Fuck, how much did I spend last night? Oh no, I spent 200 euros. And how am I gonna eat?" You know. Um, so this month, I will not drink anymore. I'm eating uh, only from supermarket and. <laughs> 
Exactly. I would rather be able to do the fun stuff and then uh, and and not worry about it. And make it sustainable, sustainable, like a sustainable yeah. way of living. Exactly. So that's my my new mission. My mission is to to prove. I've always been a person who who tries something on himself to prove that it works. I you know I it's it's a I don't know if it's an Eastern European thing, but. Uh, maybe you'll agree, but yeah. I was told by a guy from from Moscow once. He said, "The difference between Saint Petersburg and Moscow is that in Saint Petersburg, people say, 'I want to do this,' and in Moscow, they say, 'What have you done?' So it's a it's a very important mindset. You know, you want to do this, okay? Well, that's great. Do it. You know. Uh, well, my mindset has always been, well, what have you done? What have well, you what, done? What's, yeah. You know, oh, I've what traveled can you put the- on the table? Exactly, and so that's that's why I feel so confident now. After cocktails for you, after the vagabond project, after tales and spirits, I have a a list of shit that I know that has been successful. So I I don't feel any less than anyone else in the room. I'm like, I know that my shit's backed up. So whatever. I, I, oh, I don't I'll show it on my skin. Exactly. I don't have any money right now. I'll get the money, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you're right. Um, that's that's it. I'm a I'm a very Eastern European in a way mindset like this. Even though I grew up in the West, um, but still to really, the roots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a genetic thing, I guess. You know, yeah. and so, and this is also probably why I'm not too popular on social on on traditional media. They're like they don't want to. Eh, it's a bit edgy. You know, you don't want to. Yeah, 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 you, you. Distracting me this entire time. He hey, just hey. needs <laughs> Yeah, no worries. So yeah, yeah. If if you if you say the the things that are hurting, a few people will will condemn you, and and a few people will come closer, will relate better to you. So it's not for the masses, but it's for those people who are the right well, ones. Well, for the fifty percent of bartenders that make it ten years in our industry and decided to stay, because you know, the older you get, the less of us there mm. is. There's less of us who um, who are still as passionate as as want to grow, want to do things. People get tired, and so the um, for those that are still around, then uh, that's who I'm here for. You know, nice. and for those that want to maybe stay in the industry that are younger that want to earn more money want to travel this is also an opportunity for you to learn nice nice so if you're you're in the industry for many years or if you are at the beginning in the industry and you want to stay you want to travel you want to make money go and and see uh what's the site again indie indiebartender.com I think I will put it in the description so if you are listening and if you want to to follow the site just click the link in the description yeah, it explains everything about the company and also Excellent. there's a nice area there called tools which I provided some free tools about social media about personal Ooh. branding about I've got a guest shift calculator so if you were invited to do a guest shift and you don't know what you should be charging it has a full breakdown very nice very clever how to how to break down a guest shift yeah and so uh, you you just type in your numbers in there it says you know prep cost how much time you're away holidays not holidays hourly wage or daily wage and then it has everything in there and it'll calculate for you how much you should you should you should charge that's cool Um, indiebartender.com yeah yeah because money is something that people are always scared to talk about Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh you hear these like whispers he charged 
this amount of money, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000. And it's like, yeah. And so people start to think, man, if I win world class, I'm going to be charging 20K a trip, you know? <laughs> Eric Lawrence isn't driving a Bugatti, guys. I have not seen Eric Lawrence <laughs> Yeah, in a, in a nice car, in, a, in an advert for GQ, I don't think he got to keep the car. Yeah, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, he had to pass the keys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, it's good. Like, it's just the attention. He needs, he needs attention. attention. Yeah, yeah. This is like, like a baby. Yes, so so the, you are working on a nice project i really i really like what i'm hearing i i'll i'll go even deeper into in the in the bartender i saw it a bit and i'll go even deeper to to research for the listeners you will have the link in the description to, to yeah. check in and and to have the to see the free tools that uh, daniel is putting he put it on the site so yeah it's developing. it's developing you're doing things you're risking but that's what we need to do good if you good don't answer. risk if you don't risk, you don't drink champagne. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes. If those you don't, don't risk, you don't drink champagne. Good. Those good who don't take risks don't drink champagne. Nice. Um, and the thing is, once you've risked it, you're even in a better position to teach mm-hmm. because you've you know where the fuck up was once you've learned it. You know, I, for fuck's sake. Um, when I was when I was studying to become an engineer, we used to have the story in engineering school, which was um, if you hire an engineer to build a bridge and the the engineer uh, fucks it up and the bridge falls and kills a hundred people, do you a fire that engineer uh, for the next bridge or to rebuild the bridge, or do you keep that engineer when you rebuild the bridge? It's a trick question. You keep the engineer because he knows where the fuck up was. He's not gonna make the same mistake and break another bridge. He knows what's going on. Nice. But if you guys hire a new guy, the new guy is gonna make exactly the same mistakes. So you don't hire a new guy. You hire the guy who's got the experience of making the mistake. Good. As Good. horrible as it sounds, because he's got a hundred people's lives on his on his soul. But yeah, he's got the experience. He's got the experience. Nice. So, okay, he's sleeping behind me. Perfect. We're good. He's, he's on the same chair as me, and that means he's in a safe zone. <laughs> he's got the attention that he needed. I no longer have a chair. I have five centimeters. My butt is on the edge of my chair, but he's now next to me, which means we're good. No more, no more screaming. <laughs> good. So. Look after your guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always, always look after your guests. That, yeah, that's hospitality. So let's go to the second question. Now we know what you are doing and now listeners can find a little bit about uh, your work. The second question would be uh, to to tell us a little bit about your history. What's your, uh, what is your backstory in hospitality industry? Okay. So um, I have a very, very weird life that I have lived, but, and this is, I'm actually writing a book. Uh, Well, I've written a book. I just need to find a publisher. That's a secret. Um, I like secrets. It's, it's one of the many secrets we will find out today. Ooh, ooh, um, ooh. But uh, I've written a book about uh, my life uh, in the hospitality. Um, I, I have, there's no one's publishing books right now. And um, it's the first, I think it's going to be the first cocktail book, cocktail bartender book in the last like 30 years that doesn't have recipes in it. <laughs> There's no recipes. There's nothing. There's not even. There's not. There's no sponsorship from brands. 
if it gets published, I might have to self-publish. All it is is uh, bartending uh, as a life and career and the shit that happened in my life. Uh, it's loosely based on Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, uh, which is a famous chef from New York who is one of my favorite books about hospitality. I highly recommend people read it. Um, and it's just, I think the stories in there, everyone's encountered from, from people, from betrayal to, to shitty bosses, to sex, to, it's just life in this wonderful industry. And, uh, I'm just going to share some of the shit I learned from people along the way. I'm going to share one of the quotes in the, ne in the next couple of questions. Ah, oh, nice. there's, there's the wife. Nice. Nice. So you you started bartending where in in which country? I, I began my I began my uh, journey in hospitality at the age of 15 in Scotland, Aberdeen. Um, I was uh, uh, I was bartending. Uh, I wasn't bartending. I was um, I just moved from London to Scotland. My mother was working in the oil and gas industry, and I, as a 15 year old guy who suddenly realizes getting hair on his balls and he wants to meet girls and and all this kind of stuff. Um, moving from London, which is like a capital city, to uh, a 200,000 people city, and not even in the city, we were like on the outside, in the suburbs. Uh, and suburbs in Scotland means one house, five kilometers, one house. It's it, and and lots of cows and sheep. There was there's not, it's not quite the the American version where there's house and house and house and everyone's friends and everyone comes over for a barbecue and it's cold and it's wet. It's, it's, it's not, it's not sunny and, and, and wonderful. So anyway, so I wanted to make friends. There was a, a very prestigious three-star hotel, uh, three stars ooh, uh, in the area. Um, and so I, they were looking for waiters for uh, weddings. So weekend work, Uh, under the age of 16, so the uh, bef before tax, it was four pounds an hour, um, which sounds like a lot, except uh, you you know you can't afford anything four pounds an hour in in the UK, um, and so well not really, and you can only work uh, I think maximum 20 hours a week, I think it's actually 16 hours a week. Uh, because you're under the age of 16, so like child protection laws, even less, I think, it's like 15. Um, so you don't earn really anything. Uh, and but you know, uh, that's what happened. Uh, went to work there, try to make friends, try to make some money because the bus that only goes twice a day to the city was three pounds. So I had to work an hour just to get on the bus and an hour to get back. Um, so that's four hours in a week gone just to go to the city once to with a girl um so there you go and uh, scottish weddings um you know involve a lot of skirt they call them kilts for men but mm. everyone's wearing the same dress um so it, it was a learning process that's how i got into hospitality three years and working in a hotel Then I moved to the city. I went to university. I went to the busiest bar in the city. It was a TGI Fridays knockoff. It was a it was a fake TGI Fridays um, sort of. But they were trying to be more upmarket, less American, more upmarket style bars. They used to call them style bars. Style they don't. Bars. They, that term hasn't existed for 15 years. But back then there was style bars where you go and you look stylish. 
Um, and so we had 13 stations. Um, we had two cocktail stations. We had eight bar bags. It was a 600 pound, 600 people capacity venue. Whoa. Um, uh, this place was high volume. It was in a church. They bought a church and they made it into a style bar. Nice. I, I, I always uh, thinking uh, about opening a bar in a church. It, it intrigues me because it's forbidden, I think, in, in Europe. Move to Scotland. No one gives a shit. Uh, it's the best possible uh, real estate. Anyway, so the bar was called Soul. The irony is good. Uh, the DJ was, if you go into a church and you have the raised pedestal where the, where, the, where the sermon, that's the DJ deck. So they really like, they didn't just take over a church. They really bastardized it the best they could. And the first year you could see everything. It was like crazy all the way up. And then they realized that that was a lot of space that they haven't used. So then uh, after they earned the money the first year and a half, they made a casino on the second floor. <laughs> all the way, all the way. <laughs> Christ, Christ was crying. Christ was crying that day. Um, so that was, that was almost two years in that place. It was some of the best years of my life. Um, uh, fucked up owners with the nepotism their sons just doing coke like idiots like fucking up the profit and loss uh, just nightmare 20,000 pound weekends uh, because the place has got such high capacity you know uh, I remember there's there's a day in, in the UK called Black Friday mm. and it's nothing to do with racism uh, it, it's the day before it's the it's the Friday before uh, Christmas uh, traditionally, all the companies have their Christmas parties. And it's called Black Friday because that's when they all booked out and it's a corporate account. And it's just piano. You just put whatever. It's just people. People are ordering uh, pints of Corona. Corona doesn't come in a pint, but they don't know. It's people who don't even drink. It's their one year to drink for free and order mojitos in December, 20 mojitos. Um, you know, so people just go crazy. And this is, Aberdeen was the oil and gas capital of Europe at the time, before the financial crisis. So uh, the corporate account was limitless. People couldn't drink enough. The guy had like 7,000 pounds on the account and they would go do five, you know? And then they like, oh, have we, have we used up the, the budget? Oh, you're on five. Mm, okay, five bottles of champagne. You know, like this kind of crap. Um, Shell, BP, all these. So big you enjoyed working in the church for three oh, years. I was you said? Uh, three, th two years I was working there, and and uh, when my when my grandmother found out, she went to the church in Russia and put a little candle, so that the so that nobody would get upset that I'm I'm not religious, but I I thought the te the sentiment was nice. Mm. And she, every week she would send me a photo of the candle. She put a little candle for me until when I quit there, stopped happening. But while I was still working in the church, I'm sorry, my son is an idiot. My son is an idiot. Here's a candle, another candle. Uh, grandmothers are the best. And uh, oh, you want to nice. go back in here? Nice. So you worked in Scotland, and then? And so then I worked in Scotland. Then I left the church. I went to work in a club because I was, you know, I try to take my study seriously if I could. Um, the club offered less hours and more money. I was working for, I, I found out later, I was working for the biggest importer of cocaine in Scotland. He owned the club. This is why the book is good. The book has got a lot more details. 
Good. Um, so if you if you want to see more, go to the book. Just just tell us the chapters now, <laughs> the, the headliners. Yeah. <laughs> so so I worked for a guy who was like the biggest importer of cocaine in Scotland. Who owned the club? He owned the club because nobody let him in the other clubs because they knew he was the biggest. Importer. So he bought a club. He was like, well, I'll get. I'll have my own club. <laughs> well, naturally. That's what you do, right? You won't let me into your bars. Well, I'll have my own bar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fuck off. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And so I didn't know this until later because uh, when I went into the uh, into the interview, I heard he was like a scary guy. I heard the previous bar manager got beaten up and left in a in a forest. And I'm from Eastern Europe. I'm like, just beaten up. Didn't even cut off his legs. You know. So I came in there, like, I'm like, listen, I heard you're dangerous. And then the guy goes, <laughs> I think he liked it. He liked the idea that people were scared of him. I'm like, I heard you're dangerous. Listen, I'm working in that place. It's the busiest bar in the city. It was the busiest bar in the city. I'm like, I just want to work less, focus on studies. I don't want to do anything with illegal anything. I heard you beat this guy up because you wanted to. I, I'm coming to this interview because the money's good. I'm completely not prepared like i shouldn't be here i, I don't i'm not the, the job role was assistant bar manager i was 19 i wasn't even 20 yet uh, there's no way i should be assistant bar manager in a nightclub but you know i go in there and i'm like here i just want to i'll do my i'm very quick I'm, i'm i'm smart you know i just want to earn more money and focus on my studies i want nothing to do with the legal bullshit and i want to know why you beat that guy up And he told me the story that why he beat the guy up was because the guy stole money from him and he caught him. And when he said, give me back the money, I never want to see you again. It was it was a small amount, but it was the principle. You don't disrespect the guy who's the biggest importer of cocaine in Scotland. Um, it was like two thousand pounds. Stupid, yeah. That'd be stupid. And so the and the guy was disrespectful again because he sent him a, an envelope with the money with two thousand pounds, but in the envelope he wrote "fuck you." So the guy was like, "All right, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hurt a young kid. I'm not gonna hurt him in a real way." So all they did was just wanted to scare him. They didn't even beat him up. They just found, they they found out he was in this bar. They drove up. They threw him in the back of the car. He was, he pissed himself. They drove out into like 70 miles into the middle of nowhere outside the city and just kind of like, "You're an idiot. You you disrespect my name or my business again. You're gonna come back here, but without legs." And then they threw him into the, and he had to walk back to Aberdeen for 70 miles. There was nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing. Bullshit. You know, nothing happened. Um, but the, you know how rumors start. You know, and you know how the yeah, stuff yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So club. So, uh, anyway, so he gave me the job because he said I was the only person who came into the interview and was honest. Everybody else was trying to say how good he is, that how much they love the bar. I didn't care. So I was you were honest fun. since then. That was the the moment you started saying the the name. I'm, I'm a lucky idiot. I've managed to get away with being a lucky idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said, "Listen, uh, you're completely unprepared. I just wanted to see why why you were so cocky to come for an interview at the age of 19 for an assistant bar manager position." He wanted to laugh at me, and I came in here all like. I heard you're dangerous. Get tell me the truth. So he, the fact that he that I told him the truth is the only reason he hired me. Is that I need people who don't do drugs, who are not interested. You're interested in university. I need people like this. Uh, you can come work for me. I'll teach you everything. You can fuck up. I don't care. You're you're honest. I need honest people. He said, but if you don't lie to me, 
And if you're honest with me, I'll 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 support you as well. So I started. I worked for him for three years. I ended up becoming a general manager in three years because the people above me were lying and stealing and kept getting caught and kept getting hurt. <laughs> and then when I grew up to general manager, I quit university and then I couldn't do it. I couldn't be a GM at the age of 22. It's, I, I didn't have the experience. I didn't, you know, I learned a lot. You learned a lot very quickly. You, I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot. You know, I was in charge of 62 people at 22. But then I turned around one day, I was like, Kirk, um, I can't do this. You know, I, I, I work, I'm here seven days a week at the age of 22. I'm, I'm 115 kilos. I used to be 80. And I went like in three years, I'm like, it's not because I'm eating or drinking or doing anything. It's just because I, I don't do anything else. And like, I'm, I'm going crazy. But at the same time, he wanted a new cocktail menu in his bar, Beloved's Club. And I said, well, for that, I need to go to a bar show and I need books and I need equipment. So he pulled out 5,000 pounds from his pocket and gave me 5,000 pounds, said go. So if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have never like got into cocktail competitions or he was just like, he treated me like a son. Really, he did. Nice. Treated me like a son. And uh, it's thanks to him that I'm, I am where I am now uh, with his financial backing. So and, then the, um, the journey started to the, the yeah. learning process in this industry started, and then and you started, I started working as a, as a bartender, as a as a manager. And what what, what was the? I was I was a manager, but then we I made a cocktail menu. My cocktail menu had nine mojitos on it because mojitos were popular. Nine variations of the mojito. They were very popular. And then uh, there was a moment where a guy came into my bar, a guy called Mike McGinty, who is now working for Bacardi in Scotland. And he was like the coolest bartender of the city. He was like, everybody respected Mike. Mike knew his shit. Mike wore a bow tie. Wore, you know, back then was the style was bow ties, vests everywhere. To the supermarket, bow tie and vest. To the bank, bow tie and vest. Style. Stylish. Every barbecue, bow tie and vest. <laughs> uh, you got to sit next to me. Now you let me, let me go talk and do the thing. Um, anyway, and so Mike came into the bar and said, looked at my menu, because he heard I had made a menu, and then he said, this menu sucks. I'm like, Mike, turn around. Mike turned around, he's like, everyone's drinking mojitos. Place making cocktails. I'm like, I sell more drinks than your fancy cocktail bar. I'm like, I don't care if you think the menu sucks. It's everyone's drinking cocktails. And it's true. We were selling more drinks than anyone, uh, any more cocktails than any other bar, but they were all mojitos. And It's easy to sell nine types of meat. Strawberry mojito, raspberry mojito, elderflower All mojito. Kind of mojitos. Mojitos. Um, and, but, but then I said to, to myself, you know what, fuck this guy. I'm gonna beat him in a cocktail competition. You know, this guy does all the competitions. This guy thinks he's so fucking cool. I'm gonna beat him. I have never beaten Mike in a cocktail competition in my life, ever. He's one of my good friends now. I never beat him, but he's the reason I got into cocktail competitions. He's the reason I started doing it. I enjoyed it. And then, then I did 23 competitions. I didn't win a single one. And then I got third place and I got to go to like France. And I was like, yeah. And then I, you know, I had like a good year. 2012, I did, I became the UK champion of balls around the world. This was a competition that was nice. really good and famous back then. I still have a claim to fame that I beat Simone Caporale, so 
<laughs> keeping that and keeping that shit. No one cares except me. No one knows, but I'm I'm, I'm gonna tell everybody. Um, so uh, I was the UK champion for bowls around the world. Went to the world finals. Really fell in love with Amsterdam. Met uh, my future boss, and he was a competition. He was in the competition. He was the Dutch champion. And then uh, he opened Tales and Spirits. I moved to Amsterdam instead of London. I was offered to move to London to work in Kalukale. I was like, fuck that. London bartenders are super pretentious um, because they, they treated me, they, they treat anyone else. Back then they were a lot worse. Uh, anyone who wasn't outside, uh, who was outside of London was like, oh, you're a village person. Ugh. And so I was like, fuck you. I lived in London for eight years. Most of you with foreigners haven't lived here more than two. What are you getting uh, cocky about? My English is better than yours. Uh, and I'm from Russia. So I was like, fuck that. I'm moving to Europe. Uh, people speak English in Amsterdam. I can move there. I moved over there. And then I realized that how uh, the UK is like a bubble. Like the UK bartenders, London bartenders, if they're from the UK, they never leave the UK ever, unless it's a guest shift that someone's paying for. And if they're Italian, which is the only other UK bartenders you have, Italians, there was Czechs, there was a bunch of Czechs. Yeah! Um, he's joining was, the chat. He's, yeah, he's uh, he, he's not getting the attention he normally gets. Yeah. Normally at this time, I, I make him run 50 million times to get, tire him out and take him outside for a walk. So he's he's not, he's, it's gonna happen. Um, yeah, there you go. Look outside the window, look, there's dogs. Anyway, so, so there was a lot of Czechs, lots of Italians, and they only go back to Czechoslovakia or Czech and Slovakia and, uh, and, uh, and, and Italy. So what happened was um, I was like, whoa, Amsterdam is great. Everyone knows each other. People are traveling from city to city. They're going to Berlin. They're going to Paris. The community in Europe is a lot more uh, connected. It's a lot more, Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, they're a lot more interested. And I was like, I'm so happy I moved here. Tales and Spirits got into the world's 50 best bars. I worked my ass off. I went back down to 80 kilos, 85 kilos. So that was 16 hour weeks. They'll do that for you, baby. And Amsterdam stairs, Amsterdam stairs with a, with an ice machine. So, um, so yeah. And then, uh, then I, I left that and I, I did my, uh, I, I, I burned out a little bit. I also did more competitions, the usual, you know, I did, I did well, um, never did world-class never did world class i got upset at world class i got into the top 100 in the uk and i never made it and i was so upset i never did it again <laughs> fuck off world class <laughs> i always wanted to do it i always wanted to do it but i was like nah, <laughs> not anymore <laughs> but um and then i did a project called the vagabond project which was 12 months 12 countries 12 bars Ooh, nice. Uh, I, I find I funded that myself. This was my previous project, which I still funded, where I worked in a, for free in a bar around the world for a month. Uh, I flew myself there with my own money. It's all the savings I had back then. And this is when I joined Cocktails for You as a partner. So that's how I actually got the partnership. I said, here, listen, I've got 15K. That's all I have savings I have. I want to do this project where I work for free in a different month around the world every month, completely illegally. Um, and uh, Eddie was like, that's cool. Well, I'll, you know, I'll be a partner with you. If you raise any money, we'll split it 50, 50, you know, we'll be partners. Um, I still get to keep my page though. I'm like, I don't give a shit about your page. I want to do this. So that's how we became, uh, business partners. And so I did that 
And that was the best decision I ever made in my life because the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to be nominated for Tales of the Cocktail International Bartender of the Year. And I thought, well, how do you become International Bartender of the Year? You have to be international. You know, you have to be around the world. And I'm like, well, I'm not Simone in London. I'm not Jack McGarry in the Dead Rabbit and Bell in New York. What if I work everywhere? What if I work all over the world? I'll be the only person who's actively working, internshipping, staging all over the world for 12 months homeless. Cool, I'll do that. Everybody will think I'm cool as hell. My press release didn't get released anywhere. Nobody gave a shit. Um, I worked for for 18 months in total at the end. And only towards the last 12, like six months, the people were like, oh, this guy is homeless. You know, word of mouth got around. Uh, a couple of um, a couple of journalists uh, heard about it, wanted to write about it. I'm actually getting more attention about it now. One now the project's finished three years ago than it was during the project. Um, but actually, it's a good it's a good thing because that means I can talk about it, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. boring news, you know. So that's what I did for for 18 months. 18 months wow. I was on the road, wow. no life, just one bag. Uh, I worked in some of the world's best bars. I slept in some of the world's worst conditions. I gained back more weight. I lost an appendix in a, I landed in Kazakhstan and then my appendix burst within 24 hours and I had a surgery. Ooh. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, it, it doesn't look pretty. It was one of the old school. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Central uh, Asia style. Yeah. Yes, yes. So- and, um, and yeah, and then that's it. That's 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 a very long answer to my career in a nutshell. I've done well, a lot of random shit. <laughs> but one one question regarding this: How would you describe your life in one sentence? What you tell told me here? How would you put it like into one sentence? This this crazy journey. You wrote a book about it. So for the listeners, if you want to find out all the details about. Uh, Uh, Daniel's journey, you should buy his book when he will release it. But now, how would you describe it in in uh, in one? I, I have well, I have I have my favorite quote, which is "Those who don't take risks don't drink champagne." Yeah, that, that really is the definition of my life. Um, if I had to make something up on the spot, I, I think it would be a "Man walks into a bar and never leaves." You know, like that's it. You know, I came into a bar and then you know, or or even better, man walks into a bar and discovers the world. Oh, that's nice. Because um, I believe that. Well, we can talk about this later with my definition of hospitality. But I believe there's only three types of bartenders uh, around the world. Uh, there is the geek. So this guy makes drinks. He knows all the specs, all the classics, all the. Da, 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 da. He's a bit slower. He's he's very attentive, but his drinks are always like, oh, that's good. You know, that's really interesting. Um, actually, no, the word interesting is really bad. Anyone says that your drink is interesting, they don't like it. That's yeah, bullshit. yeah, I'm using it also. Yeah, when people don't yeah. want to. Oh, interesting feedback. Mm, it's interesting. It's not my thing, but I see what you were trying to do. Um... <laughs> So we have the geek, then we have yep. the. Then you have the machine. This is Mr. Dispense. This guy 
He's his drinks are a little bit off balance. They're not the best, not the most meticulous. But this guy makes drinks faster than anyone. He's just pam 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 pam. He doesn't really want to chat. He just wants to do his job. You know, he's vibing. Um, and then you have the clown. This guy makes drinks slower than everybody else. This guy is maybe not as geeky, but he keeps the atmosphere. He tells stories. He makes jokes. He does shots with the guests. He knows everybody's name. He's remembering the stuff. And I think every bar team needs to have a balance of these. Yeah, I, I was the clown everywhere I went. <laughs> I was the clown. I was the clown. Um, nobody ever remembered me for my drinks. People remembered me for the stupid stories and shit that happened. And I'm I'm okay with that. That's my jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, very nice. Uh, putting into these categories. So, one sentence of your life: the ma a man walks into a bar and discovers the world. I think that's amazing. I think that's. I made that up. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> good, good. So you have a hell of a history in the hospitality industry. But during this industry, uh, going to third question, uh, were there one or more persons in, in the hospitality industry that truly inspired you to learn something meaningful in this industry? And what have you learned from him, her, or from them? Name them guide, teacher, mentor, name them whatever you want. Who inspired you most in this industry? I have a top three, and I have little stories associated with every single one. Because uh, unfortunately, I never had like a specific mentor because I was uh, I was a cocky bastard. And when I got the job as the assistant bar manager, and then they asked me to make a cocktail menu, um, there wasn't anyone telling me what to do. So it was just me, the internet, anything I could find, and uh critical thinking if that makes sense i just had to think you know okay people mojitos are super popular well what if we have a whole menu of mojitos with different flavors and people will love them and they did you know um well whatever but basically i have three specific uh people that come to mind when you talk about mentors the first is uh the biggest importer of cocaine in, in scotland Uh, he told me something that I, I, I remember to this day. He said, Dan, you should never be afraid of anyone in the room who you cannot physically at least hurt with a punch. He said, if you're in a room with a bunch of guys or girls who can all beat the shit out of you, you should feel intimidated. You should feel intimidated because they can physically hurt you right here, right now, in this moment. If you are in a room with someone that you know that you could, even in the act of surprise, hurt them like with a punch or, or a kick or whatever, so they'll think twice about hurting you, then you shouldn't be worried. And I was like, why are you telling me this story, dude? He's like, well, Dan, well, because I can lift with one arm 120 kilos, so you should be very afraid of me. Uh, because I was never scared of him. Uh, we didn't have that relationship. Um, but this taught me a lot because I was never afraid of any boss I ever had. I was never afraid of any uh, contractual discussion. I never got anxiety from meeting Alex Cortenos. I never got scared of meeting these people. They, 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 for me, they were just another person with their own life and their own set of skills, but they couldn't hurt me. I was the taller, bigger, fatter guy. So I wasn't scared, <laughs> but it, it helped me um, not be intimidated by things that aren't, I can't physically feel or You know, it doesn't really matter to me that you're Gary Regan. Yeah, you came before me. Okay, well, you you did. So what am I going to do about it? It's not nothing I do. So this helped me with um, 
with having a mindset of like, what's the worst that could happen to you? You could get fired. You don't get the contract. Okay, but are you being a dick or are you offering something good, but the other person just doesn't get it or doesn't want to pay? Well, that's fine. You're, 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 you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Physically, you're going to be fine. If you have arms and legs, you can still go work. So this is what what what, what he told me. The second, uh, I was taught by a guy called who was the supervisor in the in that big bar in the church, Rob. Uh, my first ever Sunday shift, Sunday day shift, which is everyone's worst shift if you've worked a Saturday. You don't want to come for Sunday day. Um, but I was asked, could I come in? And Rob, he only did day shifts. He never did night shifts. He was a bit older. He was like 47. He didn't want to do nights anymore. But he was the day shift king. And he said, Dan, your shift starts at 12. I want you to be ready downstairs by 1130. And I was working till like four o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And I was like, fuck that, 11.30 ready, why? Like, I'm not gonna be, it's not gonna be high volume. I'm just gonna run food and I'm gonna pour drinks. So I turn up at 11.30, I don't turn up downstairs, I just get to the place, you know, at least I'm in the, in the building, he's pissed off. Uh, I didn't, uh, sorry, I didn't mention a, a, a nuance. He asked me how I like my tea. And I'm Eastern European. I like my tea with lemon, sugar, and black, no milk. And when I arrived, my tea was already ready for me. Exactly how I like it with one and a half sugars. He was ready. And he had a different teacup for every bartender working that day. So everybody was ready and a, and a, and a newspaper. And he was like, Dan, you're fucking late. Everyone else is already having their tea and uh, reading their newspaper. Hurry up or your tea's gonna get cold. And I had to run quickly, gonna run down. He was like, do you know why you're here so early? I'm like, no, why the fuck? What's going, why is everybody, what is going on? Rob, he's like, Dan, if I tell you to be somewhere 11.30 on your first day shift, on my shift, I'm the manager, you're not fucking late. Uh, I don't give a fuck or you're getting a warning. And uh, he said, now read the paper from start to finish. The Sunday paper in the UK is thick. It's bigger than every other day of the week. It has more, it's the sport and culture, it's thicker. The reason we had to read the paper is because the regulars that come in at 12 when we open, they've already read the paper and they want to discuss what's happening in the city. They want to discuss theater. They want to discuss sport, the races. They want to discuss politics. They want to have a talk about it. And if you don't know what's going on, they don't want to sit at your bar. In the, in the UK, they like to just talk to the bartender. The bartender is an important part of the community. And that taught me an important thing about guests is that they don't care about the drinks the beer has to taste nice the wine has to not be corked the drink has to be good but they want to talk to you about outside of the bar and so he taught me the idea of i don't i don't care about football but i knew what the score was and i knew who scored and i knew and i read the the comments so i could have a conversation with my guests nice Very so nice. one of the first things that that i remember i, I was in lebanon and uh, Jad Balut, a uh, famous bartender in Lebanon, he had a consultancy project. He did a bar in a hotel. And I came, I was I was meant to meet him in this bar. I came, I sat, I had a coffee. He was late by like 10 minutes. Uh, he came in and in the bar was a bartender and like five people sat at his bar, uh, at, his, um, at his bar top. And the bartender was on his phone the entire time. And Jad said, well, what do you think of the bar? I'm like, well, what do you want me to think? Uh, the bartender is not speaking to anyone. Uh, he's not speaking to me. I've been here for 20 minutes. They haven't spoken a word to each other. He's on his phone. 
the decor is nice, the coffee's okay. And so, and he's like, and then I told him the story about Rob. And I said, well, look, uh, I would ask this guy, the bar, you know, what do you, tell me one thing about every guest at your bar. They've been sitting at your bar for an hour. Tell me one thing about them. What's their name? Where are they from? What are they doing today? You, it's, people are ready to talk to you. You just need to make that one step and find out something. So Rob made us do this. Rob, uh, that day I was punished that I didn't come on time. He said, uh, we're going to have three regulars come in probably. And they came in, of course, because they come in every Sunday. He said, I want you to find out something personal about them at, by the end of your shift. And you tell me because I know everything about them. So I had to try and find out something about every single one of the regulars uh, that it was about their personal life within my five hour shift. And they were still drinking when I left. Uh, UK. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. Very so that, that was a really interesting uh, learning Good moment. Good lessons. Learning moment about, about hospitality, about people, about, you know. Um, yeah, and I think we need, we need this in, in the hospitality industry. This kind of things, not just products, drinks, dishes, coffee, things like this. We need fucking hospitality. But it's, it's that, that's why I like telling that story because it's uh, very understandable, right? Mm -hmm. Telling them you should read the paper or telling them a story about being on time, knowing how the tea, why the regulars, it, they understand um, a lot better the importance of it, I think. Mm -hmm. So those were the first two. And I think the last one, um, I think the last one was probably the, the, it was my friend Farmer, who was my supervisor. And I was at a Havana club training and the brand ambassador came and told us about Havana club. And on the bottle of Havana club, you have this little uh, woman with the spear and shit. I forget her name. Mm -hmm. and the story is that her husband was a sailor. He went away. She was standing on a mountain and she was waiting for him and blah, 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 blah that old fucking story. Um, in the same way that I'm saying to you now, oh, that old story, I did exactly the same thing out loud in the middle of a training with 40 people going, we've heard this a million times before. There's nothing special about this. And this girl was like half Cuban, half Scottish. She got pretty upset. She was like, well, if you've heard it before, shut the fuck up because the rest of them obviously haven't. And um, my, my friend Farmer uh, told me uh, a very interesting quote. He said, he said, um, human beings have two eyes, two ears and one mouth, and we should use them in that proportion. <laughs> so, nice. so, so very deep. I have little, little stories, little things that I remember that, that really um, are teaching moments, humbling moments. And I think those are the ones I want to pass on. I'm a collection of, I'm a Wikipedia tab with random shit. I don't have a very specific. <laughs> very nice. I like to collect those, uh, those tabs. <laughs> let's, let's go into hospitality tab. I think this is a, a bigger box. And uh, the, the fourth question would be, what does the concept of hospitality means for you? It's a very interesting thing because um, I believe that uh, working in hospitality or my specific uh, experience has been more bartending than anything. You know, that would be the majority of my career in hospitality, a little bit of management, <laughs> extreme management, um, and some, some, some bar backing and waitering as well but specifically most of my life has been bartending. And I believe that 
hospitality, it's uh, and bartending, it's uh, if anything, it's a study of anthropology. It's a study of human beings, right? It's uh, anthropology is the study of the human nature and, and stuff like that. And um, if you meet any bartender who's been doing the job for a while and who likes the job, uh, they will tell you about this uh, sixth sense in the back of their head. Somebody could walk to the door, any gender, any age, and they look at them and go, that's a cunt. <laughs> that's a dick. That person is going to be a dick. You can just feel it. Or, oh, that's a nice looking person. You know, you develop this... Um, this this uh, this this instinct this this sort of like bartending instinct that you could people instinct and um and it's I, I believe every real when people say are you a real bartender i'm like can you tell a person just by looking at him like that's the real test can you tell what a person's mood is just by having a look at them not even talking to them that's the real bartending that's real hospitality for me. and to open this a bit further is that um you know, hospitality is a service industry, right? Yes, it's, there has to be mutual respect, but a lot of uh, the definition of hospitality is so different around the world. If you go on Google and you go Google FR, Google France, and you type it in French, hospitality in French, you'll see a white shirt, bow tie, vest. It's a picture of a waiter. If you go into like the, I think it's the is it Turkish Google or Egyptian Google, there's like one of those. And you type in in their local dialect the word hospitality you'll probably see a picture of a, a coffee shop or a shisha shop right um if you look at the symbol of hospitality in america it's a pineapple if you look at the symbol of hospitality in eastern europe and russia it's a samovar the tea thing the big tea thing because that was our symbol of hospitality, come for a cup of tea and I have this massive fuck of thing in the middle of it. Every culture has its own little symbols of hospitality, has its own vision of what hospitality is. And that difference is what makes it interesting, but it also makes it very undefinable, right? I think the, the best thing uh, that is universal, and I think this is something that you teach in your seminars, is the power of a smile. Mm -hmm. It's a universal emotion. And I don't care how many people tell me that, oh, in Russia, they don't smile. <laughs> you know, uh, right? You know, um, smiling has never failed me. Smiling has never failed me. Uh, yes, in some places it's, it's less usual than others, but it has never, ever, um, it has never uh, ended up badly for me. No one's punched me in the face for smiling. Yeah. No one's... Yeah. Never oh, happened. Never will happen. I think maybe when you do very something very wrong and you should apologize and you just yes. smile in the face. But that's a different story. But the, the idea is the intention. If the mm. intention is positive and you're smiling, then no one's ever been angry at you for doing that. They just can't. It's a physical inability. And so, uh, talking about bartending and hospitality and anthropology and all this, all these things. The one thing that I will say that. Um, Though, you know, where I am now in hospitality is that there is still an element of me where I believe that uh, hospitality in a professional sense, if you're a hospitality professional, where you have a, you provide a service. And this is where I, I uh, have an opinion which people very, very, very often disagree with. I believe that we don't have guests, we have 
customers. And I'll explain what I mean by this. A lot of people say, we don't have customers, we have guests. Now, I like the sentiment that what they're trying to teach bartenders is that treat them as closer. Don't be so cold, right? That's what they're actually trying to explain to the, to the, um, to the bartenders. The problem is what you are trying to teach and how it's interpreted is very different. So why don't I believe we have guests, we have customers is because if you have guests come to your house, in your house, Paul Sferle's house, and you invite guests over and you have dinner, whatever, they might bring something, they might not. You're not depending on them to bring anything. You made dinner, you had fun, you had some drinks. When they leave, you don't go, whoa, 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 whoa here's your check. You don't give you them a check. How do you want to pay, cash or card? Maybe in Netherlands you do because it's the Dutch, but um, that does happen, has happened to me. Um, but in most parts of the world, if you have guests over, you don't give them a check. They leave and they're happy. And so what I believe is that this phrase of we don't have customers, we have guests has been misinterpreted by a lot of people as this is my house. I'm the owner of the house. You're my guest. You know, you have to respect me. It becomes you, by, by having guests and not customers, you have removed the role of responsibility that you have to serve and give them a good time. That's your fucking job. Well said, um, nice. And nice. that's so it. And so that's where I'm like, we don't, that person has come here to relax, to forget the fucking world, have a drink, read a book, go on a laptop, argue with his wife on the phone, whatever. They have not come here to listen to my shit. They have not come here to listen to whatever the fuck I think I'm doing here. My egocentric world of my artistry, whatever. They don't, they've come here for whatever their motivational reasons. I need to find out what those reasons are and I need to make sure they're having a good time based on their motivation. Now, if those motivational reasons are negative, they're here to rub the place, to be a dick. And if I can't help them with my capabilities, then I have to remove them because I don't want them ruining everyone else's night. But if they've come here with a positive reason or a, a neutral reason, my job is to just make sure they have the best possible experience, whatever motivation they come for. And it's a job. It's not a hobby. Even if your job is your hobby, you have to remember it's a job first. You get paid money for it. And, that and you have is, to do it, yeah. You have to do it. And if you're not having a good time, go on dispense. You know, if you're having a hard time keeping your own baggage at the door. If you're having a hard time with a guest, swap with another bartender. Maybe that's just not your charisma with that guest. But they're not guests, they're customers. And you have a responsibility to give them a good time. And that's, that's well put because the responsibility is not on their side because they came in your home. Uh, home. The responsibility it's it's on your side every single time. They don't have to to behave in a specific way because they are your guests. That's a different way of putting it. But I like I like the the, the point. It's it, it's of course I I always try and teach young bartenders to 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 talk to people as guests but as the moment i see them getting egocentric and misinterpreting what i'm trying to teach i remind them that this is a job and the, i had an argument during my seminar in moscow bar show last year where I, half the crowd was like nah man i don't agree with you and i like that when people are disagreeing with me that means we can have a discussion and if they feel comfortable to talk about it and she's like well no but guess and i was like listen in your bar do you have rules yes When you have guests come to your house, do you read them 10 fucking rules of how they should behave in your house? No, but no, but my, my, uh, my people that come to my house, they, they, 
they, they know things. I'm like, yeah, they know not to shit on a table or they know not to steal, but you don't train your get house guests. You're just like, you know, there's etiquette. It's just, you know, just teaching, teaching people uh, that mindset is very important and that perspective is very important, you know? Uh, what is okay in one country is not okay in another. And mm, the more yeah. you know, the better you're prepared, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice, very nice. Uh, even though I'm I'm a big fan of of uh, thinking about uh, the the persons who are entering into into bars and restaurants as guests the the way you put it makes a lot of sense because it happens a lot of times that that the bartender is taking a big ego and usually when they are going to competitions and they are starting winning and being better their ego becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and and they are thinking you are coming into my house you should do what I want what I'm thinking so remembering in this way that it's your job and those are 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 customers that you are paid to serve you are paid to do to treat them well you have to do it 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 lowers the ego down so i like this this point and and the way of putting it even though i repeat i'm a big fan of naming the persons who are entering guests because they are changing the perception you treat them like they're guests in your house and you're you are you are supposed to be more cozy more warmly more friendly Well, look at it this way. It's like, a, are you a fan of Star Wars? Mm, mm, mm. But you well, understand the idea of the light side and the dark yeah, side. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, concept, you know? And so, uh, you know, they say the Sith are absolute and then the Jedi are not absolute. You know, there's no absolutes. I believe there's no absolutes, right? Uh, I'm not trying to say I'm a Jedi, but I actually don't like the Jedi. I think they're pussies. Um, but I'm some, somewhere in the middle where like, Treat them as guests if you understand the concept of what I mean when I say this. But remember, it's your job, you know, so you have to have a balance in all things, not just in your daiquiris. Um, you know, you have to. <laughs> Good. That is it. Yeah, that's the that's the best way of putting it because if they are only guests, you can take the bigger ego. You come in my house, you are my guest, you do what I want. But if the you you treat them as a customer because it's your job, they are paying you, they are paying your wage to to do this. That's a very very well way of putting it. Good. A funny story about Have you heard of El Capitas Bar in St. Petersburg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we were discussing the same thing that we're discussing now. And um, they were telling me this interesting story, how they had a bar manager from Moscow come and they were full, like they were full. They really, and they have a big thing about it's a seating only policy. Um, they want to provide the best possible, their level of service to every single guest slash customer. Um, and so they said to the bar, listen, come back in like an hour and a half. But really, we're just, we're just, we can't, we, you won't have the full experience. And he said, no, come on, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow. I, I, I gotta, you know, I'm here. And they're like, listen, well, we can put you in this corner, but you're gonna have to be standing, you know, and understand that we're packed. So it's gonna be a bit slower and you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Person comes in, he's with another friend. They go in the corner, you know, they get greeted sort of, but they're in a blind spot because they're in that corner that, and they get their drinks late. They get the second drink late, you know, because they're just, not, you know, they're, they're just not, this, that's how it is. And at one point the barman is like, man, what's going on? You know, you guys are like the 50 best bar and, da, 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 da. and the, the bar, the guy who let him is like, well, I told you, I, I warned you that you're in a blind spot. You're in an unusual place. Service is going to be slower. He's like, yeah, but I'm, you've let me in. 
I'm now a paying customer. People are very quick to remind you that they're a paying customer when they're not having a good time. And because so they, they are paying and they are paying if they pay, they, they were supposed to get the service, the products and everything that they the full experience. Yeah. You let them in. You chose to let them in, even It's if your responsibility. Begging. Yeah. You took that responsibility. And so uh, next time you won't. You either learn from it. You you won't. You'll be like, sorry, that's it. They can have they can be annoyed about you and that you didn't let them in. But if your reasoning is because you wanted to give them the full experience, then they can't be an asshole to you. Yeah. I couldn't provide you what I wanted to provide for you, and you cannot give me shit for that. Yeah. Very nice. Good, good, good. I like this topic of hospitality because it's, as you said, it's different in, in different cultures, it's different perception about the hospitality. That's that's very nice. Next question. Are you ready? Uh, I'm getting my chair and stuff. <laughs> because talking about hospitality, it's a big difference about uh, uh, fake hospitality and genuine hospitality and and uh, the, the question is what what advice can you give to the listeners so they can offer genuine hospitality to their guests or customers you know i don't really know what fake hospitality is um mcdonald's I, I assume, like fries I assume, well i assume you're talking maybe like american hospitality mm, yeah more European hospitality, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if we go back to the topic of anthropology in the bar industry, we what you have to think about is motivation, right? What motivates a fake hospitality person to provide fake hospitality, right? Uh, what motivates an American server or an American bartender to be nice to you? Tips. Their motivation is tips because they don't have... A, uh, a set salary. They don't. Ha- they don't know how much they're going to get. Every day is a different day, and it's completely performance based. So, if they're super nice to everyone and you're tipping well, their fake hospitality becomes genuine hospitality because you're a good tipper. You're a good tipper. They know you're going to tip well. So if they look after you and are nice to you and you tip well, they're going to genuinely like you. Yes, it's related. It's, it's related to money, but. They know with you in the room, they know they're going to get like 50 bucks from you at the end of the night. You know, um, if you are a, a guest who's a crap tipper and they'll still do their job, but they're not going to give you the same amount of service because they can't depend on you for their for their rent, for their, for their livelihood. That's the tipping culture and something else. At the same time, you have to think about motivation. You know, when I speak to bar teams, I'm like, okay, what do you want out of this job? And people will say, I want some abstract bullshit. They'll say, I want to be the best in the world. Or I, you know, they'll give you some crap response, very abstract, very ambitious, but they don't really have a plan. And I'm like, no, no, let's go base. You want to fuck? You want to get some cash? Have you fun? Wanna, you want to have fun? Like, what is your motivation? When you know someone's motivation, you know how to motivate them. Right? You want to earn more money? This year, you want me to raise your salary by two euros an hour. Cool. I want you to read these 10 books and do these 10 tests and memorize these recipes. And if you do that, I'll raise your 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 your, um, your salary by two bucks. He doesn't want to memorize or she doesn't want to memorize uh, or it or Z or whatever the fucking pronouns. 
they don't want to memorize the specs. They're not interested, but their motivation will push them to learn it, even if they don't want to, because what they want is the cash. Mm, nice. Um, if they want uh, to represent your bar in a cocktail competition, because they want fame, they want to travel somewhere, they want to go to France, to a cognac house, you know, cool, I'll give you that spot, but you need to do, you need to be faster. You need to do, you know, like you need to do this. This is now your responsibility. You need to make sure that's done well. If you do that well, uh, you'll get this. And this is how I'm going to check you. So motivation is a big aspect of this. I'm not always interested in the 500 people you meet in a night about their story, about their dog or their cat or their grandmother. You can't, you can't have empathy for something you don't know. It's bullshit. And I hate anyone who sits there and goes, I'm an empath. I'm anyone making a statement about what they're like to, to tell you how great they are is a liar and probably the opposite. So I'm a very extension old. of the ego. Yeah, yeah. They're creating their own image of themselves. They're trying to convince themselves. I'm very honest. I don't believe you. I think you're the opposite because you're trying, to, you're trying to show me. If you're honest, you're honest. You don't need to tell people you're honest, you know? And I guess this is, again, Eastern European mentality, you know, uh, anyone telling me they're an empath, I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck. I can't, I, that word doesn't make sense to me. My grandmother died. <gasps> yeah, my grandmother died. I can, I can uh, but the way I feel for my grandmother is probably not the same way you feel for yours. And... Um, if you're telling me this, I go like, why the fuck did you just tell me? Like, what, what did this bring to the conversation? Uh, did I ask you how you're doing and I know you, so we're close and you're telling me your mother died? Cool, I'll be empathetic because you're my friend. Because I don't want you to feel bad. That's why I'm empathetic. Not because your grandmother died, I'm empathetic. You know, it's, it's, it's a very, I think that's fake, point blank. Nothing to do with hospitality. So uh, when people come into your, um, if you're a young bartender and you've got, you don't have the life experience to be able to not be empathetic, because the, the word we don't like, but empathize, at least find an emotional connection. If you don't have that life experience, ask questions if the, if the, um, if the theme allows it to be, you know, oh, I got a new dog. What's that like? I've never had a dog. The person would love to tell you what it's like having a dog, the good and the bad things. You don't need to have had a dog to be able to empathize. I haven't had much sleep. You know what's not having a lot of sleep like, <laughs> you know? You can find those things that you can connect with. So, you know, I think that's the difference between uh, providing a genuine thing. It's finding where you have the connections, if you have them, and not dwelling if you don't, mm. uh, you know? If you, if you if you do your job at a high professional level, that's the minimum of what you need to do. And if you find an emotional connection with your guests, that's awesome, but you're not, that's not your responsibility. And uh, at the same time, you know, uh, if you're not enjoying your job, unfortunately, hospitality is a very emotional industry. If you're not enjoying your job in hospitality and whatever you're doing, you won't do it well. Even if you're super talented or super professional, um, it's not the, it's not the industry for you. So I, I just don't know what fake hospitality is or genuine. It's just hospitality for me. There's just ranges, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. layers of hospitality.
yeah 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 it's uh yeah it's not, it's black it's and not white. like yeah it's not black and white it's all layers shades of gray i, I think if, if we had to summarize it's motivation what motivates you to do what you do and uh that will then dictate how you do it mm, you know, uh, very well put in yeah yeah if you are very motivated you will be eager to show hospitality care welcoming friendliness all these things kindness because you have a, a motivation we all have a motivation even if you are showing genuine hospitality the motivation is maybe the the satisfaction that you get when you you treat that person well that that could be but you are motivated intrinsic motivation to do it to treat those other people well well we have a bit of serotonin i think people who work in hospitality chefs bartenders even sommeliers and, and waiters When someone says, I don't know what I want, I want this. And then you go and tell the bartender and then they get it and they make it and you bring it back and they, they and then they have that instant gratification, that three second, oh, that's delicious. That's exactly what I wanted. In your back of your mind, you're like self-high-fiving yourself. I am so good. Yeah. I'm awesome in my job. I managed to, without knowing this person, get, get them what they want. You instant know, gratification uh, i like it very much because our generation we are all instant gratification and we look for it if we see the pleasure uh, that we provided to our, to to our uh, guests uh, clients uh, customers we we feel instant gratification so that's a that's a that's a big big thing so i i like the most it's the most honest gratification if the person immediately has a physical reaction to whatever they're eating or drinking and it's positive then you know that whole life They cut open, they're like, oh, oh yeah, mm, ooh, ah, you know, yeah. that, 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 that animalistic, you're like, awesome. If they go, interesting, you're like, okay, I fucked it. That, that, that. <laughs> I didn't drink it, out of respect, but you know, but when you get it, you're like, uh, you'll remember, you'll remember, oh, we had a really good guest on table 12, they, they wanted this and it was good, it came on time, everybody high five. But at the end of the day, you're also mentally exhausted because you've been giving yourself to other people for 12 hours and you just mm -hmm. you sit there like, fuck me, so tired, you know? Yeah, like a warrior on the battlefield. Yeah, you're having a beer, you know, just enjoying yourself. Good, good, good. Next question. Talking, still talking about hospitality. Now we we go a bit about talk more about money because we are charging. Uh, we are charging products. We are charging services. We are charging dishes, food, drinks. But how can we ethically monetize our genuine hospitality? So if we provide more than just service, we provide hospitality. It doesn't matter what is the motivation, but how can we monetize ethically? We don't want to steal from them, but how can we monetize? that ex hospitality experience a very good question and uh it's very difficult to answer but i'll try um i think that the economic and law-based factors that differ country by country city by city region by region uh dictate more our wages our supplies and our prices than we do uh generally The 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 the, the, the restaurant food beverage industry can be split into three sort of sectors at the same time two directions. The three sectors are are lower class, middle class, upper class, right? So you're either cheap and cheerful, you're a little bit more gentrified, hipster sort of, you know, you want something, or you're upper class. Uh, where you're going to Michelin and, and, and in all three layers you have 
good and bad. You can have a good, cheap and cheerful place that does good food for a low price, and you can have a really shitty one. You can have a Michelin star restaurant that serves you foam for 50 euros, and it's bollocks. Or you could have caviar and, and an amazing cut of meat you could never find yourself. So there's no such thing as the money necessarily dictates quality. Um, but there is two, two themes. One is function and one is emotion or an experience. Uh, McDonald's is function. I go in there to inhale cardboard for whatever fucking reason and I never feel good about it afterwards. It's a function, you know? I go to a shop to buy beer because I need a beer, but then I go and have my experience with my friends in the park or in the house by the sea. Cocktail bars are an experience, they're not a function. They're not a requirement. So people go there for the experience. This is why robots will never replace bartenders, but they could become a functional cocktail bar. I want to come in and have a daiquiri and I don't want to wait 15 minutes to sit down. I don't want mahogany. I just want a daiquiri. I want to, you know, I want a tap tail, you know. Does it taste as good as the bartender? Of course. You can eventually, the technology will come to a point where you can get the freshest daiquiri from a machine but you will never replace the experience. So if bartenders want to survive in this post-industrialistic, post-internet world, they have to make sure that their experience is on point. And for that, they need to be educated. They need to be funny, the smart. They need to be more of a clown, if anything. It's the machine bartender that can be replaced, but the clown and the geek can't. Um, wow. Because the, that, that's... That's, wow. that's it, right? Wow, wow, nice, very nice answer, and and it resonated exactly with the. You know what I mean? Uh, that's, yeah, that, I feel you. That that's bad for the machine bartender. Um, really, it's sad. Really, you know, somebody could have a passion for bartending, but they're they're not a geek or a clown. Uh, so that's that's a sad reality. Mm -hmm. um, in how to monetize, I I, I think that there's. Um, If you look at history of bartending and hospitality and you look at the, the, the saloons, the American saloons, that was a really big part of, of because um, we know a lot more about the American saloons than we do about Europeans ones because of different languages and literature available. But the, back then, if you think about it, the internet was the saloon, right? You want to meet somebody, go in a chat room, you go to the saloon. You want to find out what's going on in the city, get your news, you go in the saloon. You want to relax, have a good time, share stories, go in the saloon. The internet was the bar. The internet was the saloon. And the admin of the internet was the bartender or the owner of the saloon. You were in charge of everything. That's why the rule came no religion or politics because that's the first thing that causes riots in the internet and problems. So the bartender's job was to, you're liberal, okay. You're right wing, okay. Keep the fucking peace. The bartender's in charge. The bartender was not an egotistical person, even though they had an ego and they were, um, you know, sort of uh, important, but they, they had ego with responsibility because they had to make sure their saloon was the only saloon for a town of 500 people. They're in charge of 500 people. They're in charge to make sure they're happy, that there's no fights, that everyone's fed, that everyone's getting the, the town drunk, the town rich person. They had to, so it was a very respected profession uh, because they were important in society. 
They had to look after the guys when the wives were looking, when they were with hookers. They had to, you know, look after the women when the guys were beating their wives. You know, there was, they had more responsibility in the society. And I think that in order to, to really monetize your hospitality, bartenders need to get back to that mindset. You, uh, I think that this is where the internet will help because you notice now bartenders are starting getting followed by their guests. Guests are interested in bartending. Bartending is getting a lot of interest from the, from the, from the, um, from the general population. Slowly we're following chefs. Uh, there is of course a whole layer of bartenders who are not actually bartenders. They're like people good with cameras and, and you know, just like, uh, like, uh, Photographers, of, yeah. yeah, a good example is like apartment bartender, lovely guy. I've met the guy. Mm -hmm. Super nice dude. I have nothing bad to say about him. He can, he has a place in the world of internet bartending, and I don't give a shit. I don't want his money. I don't want anything. But no, no issue. No bad vibes. Um, but I think bartenders need to like do what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Learn, learn that part. Because if you're living in, in Barcelona, for example, and you're a bartender, and you start to get a crowd of guests who like you, who like what you're doing, and you have good media, you're in their line, you start to become important socially for them. Hmm. You become an important aspect of their community, of their life in the city. And then if you want to open your own place, they're going to be your guests. You're going to monetize your hospitality. You want to do an event, they're going to come. You're going to monetize your audience because you're important, you know, and this is a, unfortunately also a very long-term game. You know, I know, for example, there was a girl who just moved to Barcelona, who's a financial investor analyst, who was a regular in our bar in Amsterdam for three years. So I grew, she's from Bulgaria, and I grew with her in Amsterdam as she grew within her company. And now she moved to Barcelona. She immediately sent me a message going, hey, I just moved to the city. Where do we go for drinks? You know, you know everything. Like, I'd love to come and see you. So that person I haven't seen for three years. They're number one, they hurt. They still follow where I am. They still want to see me. Uh, and then I can bring them to my friends' bars because I know they like new good. They st I still am their number one, you know? So maybe not number one, but you know, I'm a contact that they, they trust, like the regulars trust their bartenders. So that's, if you can get your audience, you can become important to your community. You can go beyond your bar and, you know, how many people um, who open a new bar uh, go within a 500 meter radius to all the local shops and businesses and tell people that they've opened a new bar. They, they don't. They go on Instagram, yeah. have a photo shoot, invite some influencers. Yeah. Physically go, I'm opening a new bar in one month. I'm building right now. I'm on this street. This is, I, I'd love to see you there. But we're a laundromat. We just wash clothes. Yes, but you're my neighbor. I want to, do you drink? Do you want to have some food? I want to invite you. You're, I'm your new neighbor. I just moved in. You morning. You have, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're in a building at the bottom and you have 20 flats above you. How hard is it to send everyone a little Hi, I'm moving in below. We're going to be a bar. Here's our menu. I want to just introduce myself. Here's the thing. I know this is like old school advertising, putting a leaflet through a post box, but nobody gets that anymore. So it's new school advertising. So you're like, what? I got a, I got a letter that was, that's not spam from my bank. What's it's a that? bar it's <laughs> down there, you know, like what, you know, cause uh, 
if you within 500 meters if within 500 meters of your bar if you have like 2000 people dude and you have a 50 capacity bar how many times can you fill your bar with those people yeah okay 50% of them can't drink say so 1000 people but they all know about it now there's that new bar and they all have a thousand friends there's a new bar that opened I'm like look hey, you want to come over for a cup of coffee hey, let's go check out that new place you know uh mm-hmm. this, this mm-hmm. Guy, the guys are really nice they they came over they they got to know us you know cool cool uh, become a member of your society or your community nice very nice very very well thought answer and i like how to how how you put it to to monetize hospitality So we we still have a few more minutes left. Uh we'll go to the last question uh about secrets. We are at hospitality secrets and the question the big question for you is can you tell us a secret about you that uh, not many people know? Like a yeah. short secret like one or two minute secret if you have something uh, that not many people know because we are a little bit over time just only yeah, 40 minutes I'll try to be I'll try to be uh, interesting because I'm trying to think of a secret that's like spicy or something I don't know Um okay I have um it's more of a story than a secret but it'll be two minutes maximum two minutes sorry good So um I wanted to be an actor I did improv school in London for four years and um I met Jude Law Um, it was uh, in 2001 there was a film called Enemy at the Gates um which is about Stalingrad and the battle of Stalingrad between the Nazis and the Soviets and there was a scene in there where there was an old grandmother with a kid and I went for the casting of the little kid and I got through, through to like the third stage I got to meet the director I have a picture with the director and and Jude Law was there and um yeah I if I got that part I would I would never be talking to you I'd be a millionaire coke addict <laughs> I'm so lucky that you didn't. <laughs> so lucky that I'm. Here. Wow, nice. For a little story that not many people know that nice. about my So Daniel, thank you very much. Uh, it was a little bit longer, but I'm sure that it worth it. So uh, thank you for being uh, for being my guest uh, in this episode. Oh, I don't have it written here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for uh, for being part of this. No worries, Paul. Uh, hopefully see you soon. Yeah. Drink nobody sure. don't. Drink nine get a bottle. Get a bottle take a photo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Where where can I find it? I will look for it. <laughs> and and uh, they have distribution in Romania. I have no idea who sells it. I'll it I'll it. find it. I'll find it. So uh, nine Dante? Nine di Dante. It's a uh, Torino Superiore. So it's a, a new AOC from the European government. It's delicious. Nice. It's about the I'll, same price as Antica. I'll taste it. I'll taste it and I'll I'll uh, I'll find it in Romania. So thank you very much one more time for uh, for being here. For the listeners, I really appreciate that you listen to us. I hope that uh, you found a few interesting things. For sure, I found some new things, some interesting things about hospitality, about uh, Daniel Nevsky that uh, shared with us his passion, his knowledge. So Thank you very much for uh, for listening. If you want to to follow the podcast to listen to the weekly uh, weekly guest of this uh, of this podcast, you can follow on on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, every single platform for of the podcast. We are there and uh, we post a lot every single week. Thank you very much for uh, hmm? send me the link when it's online. Send me the link when it's online. I will share it with the world. Yeah, thank you very much. That's it for today. I hope it's useful. Paul Sferlia here. See you next week. Cheers.